I had, it wasn't quite a vision, but I imagined myself talking again in our ward back at home after I came home from my mission. And that after I was finished, one of the sweet sisters in the ward came up and gave me a hug and said, you haven't changed a bit. And I started to cry because I knew at that time that that's not what the Lord wanted for me. He wanted me to come back a much better servant. Hello, my name is Blair Murphy, and this is The Bishop's Office, a podcast where I talk to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their conversion, missionary service, and life experiences. This week, I'm speaking to Dallin Howes about his mission in Switzerland. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Dallin, it's great to catch up and speak about your mission today. How are you? Good. Thanks, Bishop. Glad to spend the time and think about some of these experiences. Well, I should probably disclose, we obviously know each other very, very well. I married your sister and we worked together for a number of years. But for those who are less familiar, why don't you introduce us to your childhood and your pre-mission years? What stands out to you um, in terms of preparation for serving a mission? Sure. I guess I grew up in a very traditional LDS family. Uh, My dad was the state president for, for 10 years through my youth. Uh, My mum taught seminary for 20-odd years, early morning seminary, uh, and was my teacher for three of those years. And so I do remember once in year five, I think, at school, someone asked how we thought about church, and I was kind of noncommittal about it. Oh, yeah, church is kind of something we do. Uh, And then sort of realised afterwards, like, wait a second, church is central to everything that we do. Um, And... It really was, obviously, with um, everything we did in our family. And it wasn't just something we did for a couple of hours on a Sunday. It was an integral part of our life. And so did you always have a a strong desire to to serve a mission or is that something that came later? It was always in the plan. It was not something that I needed to convince myself to do. Um, Growing up in that family and in the ward that we grew up in, there was plenty of good examples of people serving missions and coming home from having served faithful missions and having grown and developed and improved themselves. It was not something that I ever really questioned or doubted at all that I would do. I always wanted to. We had the missionaries in our home regularly growing up and that was always a positive influence for me. How would you have described your testimony leading up to putting in your missionary papers? I think it was strong. I think um, as strong as you would expect from a 18, 19 year old youth. But that said, I hadn't necessarily had any specific core experiences. So I'd grown and developed a lot through young men's, through seminary. They instituted when I was a priest, what has now become the Mission Preparation Conference. Um, Back then, the first version of it was called the MTC Boot Camp, uh, which was an incredibly powerful experience for me. But I certainly hadn't had an Alma the Younger type experience or anything like that, where it's this is the one defining moment where I have found out that the church is true and that I need to serve a mission. Uh, But it has just been accumulation of a lifetime's worth of experiences. Tell us about receiving your mission call and uh, remind us where you served and and when you served. Uh, So I served in the Switzerland Zurich mission uh, from 2003 to 2005. Uh, My mission doesn't exist as such anymore. It's been absorbed um, in with a couple of other missions and is part of the Alpine German speaking mission which now takes in all of all the German-speaking part of Switzerland, uh, Austria, and part of Germany around Munich. I received my call at the time they came in paper envelopes, and typically they would be delivered on a Thursday, about four to six weeks after you'd put your papers in. On 
a Wednesday night was institute night, but I was working at the time in a call center and um, I think shifts finished at about 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. I had obviously not been able to go to institute that night and it was a, a few weeks after my birthday and I hadn't done anything to celebrate my birthday at all. And I got home from work and there was a bunch of YSA friends uh, in my kitchen there to celebrate my birthday as a bit of a surprise. Um, and so we stood around and talked for a little while and had some cake and everyone's like, oh, give a speech. And so I started thanking them all for coming and saying how I, was, I just turned 19 and was excited to get my mission call sometime. And mum and dad cut up the cake and handed it around. And they wrote on the napkin as they gave me a piece of cake, your mission call arrived today and it's sitting on your bed. So I ate some cake and then just quietly slipped away into my room knelt down and said a prayer and then brought it out and opened it with those uh, friends and one other YSA who were there. Uh, and so that was an exciting thing to be able to share that experience with, uh, with those friends there. Do you remember what the sentiment of that prayer was that you said before you opened your call? I don't. And it's probably not something I would have thought of thought to do on my own. Um, but I remember seeing, especially my brother, when he received his call, that that was something that he did, I think. I think I was the only one at home with him at the time when the letter came in the mail. I, he probably waited till other people were around to, to open it. But I do remember him walking out to the mailbox and then coming inside with the big envelope and taking it into his room and then coming out a few minutes later where it was apparent that he'd gone to pray. I imagine I prayed to be happy with whatever the call was and to be excited to go and serve those people. Uh, if I was saying the prayer now, I would pray for those people that I was going to meet, that uh, they would be prepared and I would be prepared to, to meet them. I was happy to accept the call wherever it was. Um, Rick Benalik was our young men's president for a while and he'd done mission spotlights as part of our young men's lesson where he'd pick a, a mission throughout the world and just teach us a few things about the culture and what things were like there, uh, which had been really exciting to learn about places from Melbourne to Canada and Europe and everywhere. And I hadn't had any specific thoughts about where I would or where I'd like to serve. Uh, but one night I do remember being in my bed and looking at a bedside table that I had, which had previously belonged to my sister, to your wife, and she had engraved her initials on it, CH. And CH is the country code for Switzerland. And so as I was about to go to sleep, I'm like, ah, Switzerland, that'd be an interesting place to go and serve. What a cool experience. So you receive your mission call. Tell me about your MTC experience. I loved the MTC. I was really excited and it's interesting. We were there for eight or nine weeks. And I think about the seven other brethren, the seven other men who were in my district. And I have such a strong bond with them. We don't talk often, but... I feel an incredible bond to them from that very brief uh, eight or nine week period that we spent together, much stronger than I do with perhaps some school friends that I spent years with. It was such a powerful time to be able to spend so much time studying the scriptures, learning together. Uh, it was ne not necessarily an easy experience. Uh, I'd fortunately learned some German, so I was prepared somewhat in that way, but the other elders in the district um, hadn't and so we struggled together to to learn German to learn to teach the gospel I don't like to think of myself as an emotional person but I cried many times in the MTC one day we were sitting in our classroom studying the scriptures and I didn't want to cry and I didn't want tears to drip all over my scriptures and so I lifted up the Book of Mormon and I probably looked ridiculous holding the Book of Mormon out in front of me instead of having it leaning on my desk because 
I thought it would be better for my eyes that I would be able to hold those tears in and not have them drip all over my scriptures. And in the end, I decided that it, it wasn't a big deal, that I was feeling these powerful emotions. I was feeling the spirit. I was feeling this great love to these brethren around me. And so I put the scriptures down on the table and these great tears dropped on my paper and the paper got wet and went crinkly as, as paper does. Four of the elders in the district were going to Hamburg in Germany and four were coming with me to, to Switzerland. The other four elders left earlier in the morning on the final day. And I remember we got together and we knelt down in the hallway as they were all dressed and packed and ready to go. And uh, we were still in our pajamas. But we knelt down in the hallway in the MTC and said a prayer together. And I just cried. I cried because of the great experience that we've had. I knew we were going to continue to have great experiences. But it was such an emotional and moving time for me um, to be there with those men and to learn and to be preparing to serve the Lord full time. Yeah, powerful, isn't it? Part of it is the unity that comes from common purpose. There's no one there with any other motivation than to try and learn to be the best missionary that they possibly can be. And the Lord pours out his, his spirit in abundance. It's a, a wonderful experience. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. So tell me about Switzerland. What should we know about the people, the culture? Introduce us to, to your mission a little. So after I got my call, I looked up a little bit of information about Switzerland in a paper encyclopedia. This is before Wikipedia was around. I remember it saying in the encyclopedia that it's 50% Catholic and 49% Protestant. And so that, I guess, sums up a little bit of the religious tradition they have there. It really is an incredibly rich religious tradition. When we look at the history of the, the Reformation, a lot of it took place in Switzerland or in Germany or countries just around there, which makes for a few challenges for missionary work, a few opportunities for missionary work, but it's a very different culture than what we're used to. And I think sometimes we talk about the Joseph Smith story and we say that could only have happened in America because of the religious freedom that they had there. And growing up, that never made much sense to me because we've always had religious freedom here in Australia and I don't really understand that. Uh, but living in these countries where people did have to fight for a lot of those religious riots, but even now, each of the cantons of Switzerland, that's what they call each of their states, is designated either a Catholic state or a Protestant state. That said, a lot of it is all tradition for them. And so you have these very strong religious histories, but they go to church twice a year or less. But it's a part of who they are. Um, and with a, uh, a culture so deeply steep in religion, it must have been pretty tough introducing a new one. What, how did you find uh, the people in terms of reception to, to the message? Yeah, it was tough, absolutely. Um, we had a lot of missionaries who would work almost exclusively with refugees and other people who were new to the country or not Swiss. I didn't feel that was how I wanted to serve my mission, but the Swiss people weren't terribly accepting of the gospel. There were often people who were happy to chat about religion and we enjoyed just having good discussions with people. But as far as seeing success and, and baptisms and uh, reactivations, uh, that's not something that I saw a lot of uh, on my mission. Mm. And so what did success look like for you? Do you feel like your mission was successful? Yeah, I do. And I think a part of that 
uh, is about me being my first convert. One other, if we can go back to the MTC, one experience I had there was feeling like perhaps I had a strong enough testimony and that I understood the gospel well enough and that I didn't need to change. I didn't need to improve. And I had, it wasn't quite a vision, but I imagined myself talking again in our ward back at home after I came home from my mission. And that after I was finished, one of the sweet sisters in the ward came up and gave me a hug and said, you haven't changed a bit. And again, I started to cry sitting in that MTC classroom because I knew at that time that that's not what the Lord wanted for me. He didn't want me to not change a bit. He wanted me to come back a much better servant, a better prepared teacher and leader and someone who could prepare to be a husband and father. And so that I needed to change. Um, And so that's something I I tried to do throughout my mission to improve and to change and to, to learn more. And so how do you think you changed on your mission and what were the catalysts for that change? I think I became a much more complete person um, and I guess a much more confident person. Um, Even now there's a lot of things I'm not necessarily super confident about and don't always enjoy talking to people, but being able to and having to talk to people constantly uh, was something that I certainly learned on my mission. I think I learned to try and relate better to people. One companion that I had, had phenomenal German. He was an American, but his German was fantastic. And I remember one time we were teaching a family who, where German wasn't their native language. And my companion was using all of these complicated words and phrases. And the sort of traditional teaching pattern is that your companion would teach a principle, you'd bear testimony of that principle and then move on and teach the next principle. But I could see and feel that this father that we were teaching just wasn't understanding what we were teaching. And so rather than bearing testimony and moving on, I found that I was reteaching the same principle that my companion had taught, but in a way that this man and his family could understand it better. I recognized that day that sometimes we need to simplify things so that people can understand it and that we can relate to them. Mm. Any other, I guess, Uh, experiences that spring to mind in relation to teaching you or helping you become a a new Dallin? A couple of experiences in in following the spirit and I guess also on what success looks like as well. One day I was with a a new companion. He'd only been in the mission for six weeks um, and his trainer had then uh, finished his mission and gone home. With his previous companion, they'd done a plan for the week and He said that his companion wasn't really interested in what they were doing because he wasn't going to be there for it. And so this new missionary I was with, he'd written out a plan. And when I came in, he was like, hey, do you want to replan? And I'm like, no, you've made a plan. You've felt inspired by the spirit. Let's go with it. And so we jumped on a train to go out to one town and we were going to have to change trains at one point to get there. But we got to a city with a similar sounding name and he just jumped off the train. And so I jumped off with him. Um, and we're there and he's like, oh, we've come to the wrong city. And so he's like, well, what should we do? Should we work here or should we get back on the next train and go back to where we were planning on going? I felt that the thing we should do is go to where we were originally planning to go. And so we jumped back on the next train and then changed trains and ended up where the plan had been. And once we got there, we didn't have a specific plan. We were just going to find some streets or some apartment buildings and knock on some doors and talk to some people. So we were looking at the map at the train station 
and a lady comes over to us and says, elders, what are you doing here? And we're like, uh, not sure really. Uh, who are you? And she's like, oh, I'm a member. I just live over the border in France. But there's a lady I know in this town. Maybe you'd like to go and visit her. And we're like, perfect. Yep. What's the address? We'll go and see her. And she's like, actually, come with me. I'll take you to her. Um, and so this dear sister from over the border in France took us to, to meet her friend. And we had a number of wonderful discussions with her and she later then came to church. Her friend from France brought her down to the ward in Germany and had some really good experiences. Uh, another time we had a plan. This is with a different companion. We caught a train to a different city, a different town. It was the furthest town from the chapels, right on the edge of our area. We had a plan before we went that we'd walk to a certain street and then we'd start contacting people on our way back towards the train station that we'd knock on doors and talk to people on the street. And we walked and we got to this point where we were planning to start working and I just couldn't stop there. I didn't really talk to my companion about it, but I just kept on walking and I didn't know where we were going or what we were doing, but my feet just carried me. And we ended up right on the edge of this town. I think we're in the furthest building from our apartment and we started knocking on some doors there and this guy comes to the door. He was an African man, came to the door and he took a good look at our name badges and he's like, I'm interested in talking to you, but some of your friends are here already at the moment, but maybe they're from a different church. I'm not sure. And so we had to, I think after talking to him, run back to the train station to get the last train back to our apartment. Uh, but we got a call that night from the elders in the next area over. And they're like, hey, were you elders in this town today? And we're like, uh, yeah. And they're like, we found this guy's address on a piece of paper in our apartment. And it wasn't in our area, but we didn't know anything about him. So we didn't think it was worth sending it over to you. So we were there today when you guys knocked on the door. <laughs> and we were just a bit blown away that the Lord had sent both of us to this guy at the same time. Oh, yeah. Wow. And... Thinking back on both of those experiences, as far as I'm aware, neither of those people joined the church, but the spirit led us to both of them. And I reflected often, like, why did this even happen? Why did the Lord care? It didn't necessarily make a big difference in that person's life. One answer that I came to was that it made a difference in my life. It helped me to understand and recognize the spirit. It helped me to be excited to continue working hard to try and find more people. These little shining glimmers where you see that the Lord is working, that it is his work and he wants us to be successful, really brought through that hope. Um, I like the way you described learning about how the, the spirit works with you. Could you help describe how you feel the spirit in those moments or how you've learned the spirit speaks to you? I guess to give some context or some information to people who are perhaps struggling to recognize that spirit in their own lives. Yeah, I feel it, I guess, similar to how I've just described, that it's just an overarching direction. I didn't hear a voice in any of those scenarios. I didn't necessarily have a massive burning of the bosom. It was just, this really feels right. And those two stories I just told, I did the complete opposite things, right? One of them, we had a plan and we stuck to it. The other one, we had a plan and we completely changed it. But both of them felt right and felt like they were the thing that we needed to do and we saw the right outcome in the end and I guess one key was that we just need to be doing something 
neither of those experiences would have happened if we were sitting in our apartment waiting for the revelation of which house we need to go and knock on and where there's someone who's ready to hear our message. Uh, they happened when we were out working. And I feel like often the Spirit speaks to me when I'm out doing the things that I need to be doing, that I'll end up where the Lord wants me to be, uh, even if it's not where I'd planned to be. And even if I don't specifically know how I ended up there, that the Lord turns it into what he wants it to be. Another experience I had relating back to success, in one area, the one of the counsellors in the state presidency, their son was turning eight, and so they invited us to come and share some lessons with him. And so we went maybe two or three times to their house. I took some Tim Tam chocolates and sort of had a bit of an Australian experience with them as well. And the eight-year-old kid knew the gospel. His, as I said, his father was on the state presidency. His mum was a faithful member. They had a few kids in the family that all knew the gospel well. We didn't really need to be there to help prepare him for baptism. But a number of years later, um, it was actually while I was traveling in Switzerland on a holiday with my family, I got a message on Facebook from the older brother of this young boy that we were teaching. And he sent through a photo. He had a photo of me and my companion there with the younger brother with the pack of Tim Tams. Uh, And he said, I don't know if you realize this, but my brother didn't need you to be there, but I needed you to be there. And I'm now serving a mission. And I remember you and your companion coming 10 or so years ago and teaching in my family. And I really value and appreciate that time that you spent there. Thank you. It made a difference for me. I was so surprised that he said that. I don't know if he was serving a mission at the time. I don't know if his mission president asked them to send out meaningful messages to people or if he was just inspired to do that. But it, it really did show me that we have no idea what, impact we've had on people when we think we're having no impact when we think oh yeah it's nice to be able to spend a couple of hours with this great strong family but apparently we had an impact on that brother that we weren't even necessarily directly talking to yeah it's interesting isn't it and um often we have an idea of what success should look like Um, and so we receive what we feel is a prompting we follow it and then when we don't see the outcome we expect we sort of wonder right we wonder about what uh the purpose of that was or did i really feel the spirit but you know the lord (laughs) the lord's the grand architect isn't he um he's the one who knows what he's doing we're just trying to be we're just trying to be part of the work aren't we and i think that's a great example of of one of the ways that the, the lord achieves his purposes yeah absolutely as you think back on your mission are there any other sort of areas that stand out to you where you felt like you really learned a lot or something like that? Yeah, my last transfer really stands out to me. Transfer calls from president would normally come in the evening. And so my companion and I sort of stayed up and waited for a call to happen and nothing happened. And we're like, great, cool. We've got another transfer together. And then the next morning as we were studying, we get a call from the mission president and he says to me, Elder, I've got a special assignment for you. I need you to come into Zurich, into the biggest city. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he said, and I need you to be the district leader. And at the time I'd been serving as the zone leader. So you might think that that's a bit of a demotion. And I guess in my head, maybe it was. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, and we're moving out the two elders who are there and we're bringing in you with two other companions. You'll be in a threesome. So 
me and my two companions, we met up at the train station in Zurich and we didn't know how to get to our apartment. So we decided to go to the, to the mission office, which was connected to the mission home. And the assistants would meet us there and um, either tell us where we were going or take us to our apartment. But we got there and the assistant's like, just wait here for a sec. And in the mission home upstairs, there were a few sisters there talking with the mission president. And it turns out that in their area, they'd picked up a bit of a stalker who had found their phone number and would, at 10.30 at night, would ring their phone and come and sneak up at their windows. And it was a bit of a scary situation for them. They were going to keep serving in their area and we were going to keep serving in our area, but we were just going to swap apartments for a few weeks. And so here's me with my two companions living in this apartment, which is 20 or 30 minutes outside of our actual area. We were also supposed to be looking for a new apartment within our area. Um, for whatever reason, the mission president wanted to get rid of our existing apartment that the sisters were now living in. And so we had all of these distractions going on. We didn't know anything about the area because we were all new there. We hadn't had any sort of a handover. We just had to glean what we could from the area book. It was the middle of summer and in Switzerland, a lot of people go away during the summer. They go down to the Mediterranean or away somewhere where they can get to a beach. Switzerland is completely landlocked. And so we'd be in church and none of the bishopric would be there. There was one Sunday where the only person sitting on the stand was the high priest's group leader. So we felt, I guess, in some ways we had far less support from the ward. And then halfway through the transfer, we get another call surprise from the mission president one night and he says, elders, we've got an elder coming back to the mission who went home a little while ago with some health issues. He's coming back. He'll be here tomorrow. And Elder House, he'll be your companion. And the other two, my other two companions got uh, sent off to various other elders. And so here I am with three weeks to go and I've got this new companion uh, who I wasn't sure how it was going to be working with him. I sort of had three weeks to make my last impact here with this new companion who knew then even less about the area and less about what had been happening in the mission for the last year. Our mission president came to do interviews that month and I remember just sitting there and again crying to the mission president saying, I don't know what's going to happen here. We've worked really hard this transfer. We've seen a little bit of success. We've got a bit of a teaching pool. Um, but now this new elder's come in and he doesn't know any of the people. And I don't know how this transfer is going to happen, how the transition into the, the following transfer once I'm gone, I don't know how it's going to work. And a mission president um, didn't cry with me and he was solid and stern and said, yeah, it's hard. And yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. Yes, he'll need a, a good companion to come in and help work things out. And I wasn't sure if that really helped me at the time, but I think it, it really did. It really, really helped me to, to solidify for me that this is the Lord's work. And in Switzerland now, no one remembers me. No one knows who Elder Howes was. Um, and what happened in those last three weeks or six weeks may or may not have made a difference for people. But my role there was to work as hard as I could to change myself and to make a difference for other people. And just because that last transfer was a complete mess, ultimately it doesn't really matter. There was some great experiences we had. We found some great people. We worked really hard. We built some good relationships and we did what was asked of us. And we then 
just left it in the hands of the Lord and it's up to him to, to do his work. And yeah, it was just a really interesting way to, to finish my mission, but really felt that I'd done what had been asked of me and had, had finished off strongly despite strange circumstances. Um, well, maybe to bring our conversation to a little bit of a, a close, you've been home from your mission now, well, you finished in 2005, so 15 years. You're married, you're expecting your fourth child. I wonder if you could share with us, I guess, what the gospel means to you in the context of you know where you are in your life now and how the gospel has blessed your life these last 15 years since returning home from your mission. Yeah, I spoke earlier about change and how I recognised in the MTC that changing was going to be important throughout my mission. Change is something that I think the gospel requires of us constantly. We, the gospel doesn't allow us to be static. It requires us to constantly change and improve ourselves. And so that's been a big part of my life as I've recognised that. I haven't always remembered and recognised that, but when I do it's an opportunity for growth that we can learn more that we can improve ourselves and so am i a perfect father no am i a perfect husband no am i perfect in anything i do in the church or in the world no absolutely not but having jesus christ there to to lead us and to guide us he invites us to change he invites us to improve and to be better each day he is waiting there with open arms for us and to me, that's what the, the gospel is all about. Yes, there are principles and doctrines and commandments that we strive to keep, but it's all about improving ourselves to prepare us to become more like God and Jesus Christ to be able to return to, to live with them again. That's great. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us. I don't think I'd heard any of those experiences, so I don't know what good my familiarity with you was. But um, yeah, wonderful to hear about your mission and, and, and your testimony. So thanks for taking the time. No worries. Thank you, Bishop. I guess I need to speak up more during our family dinners. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Dallin's mission. If this or another episode touched you, please share it with friends and family. Otherwise, that's all I have for you this time until we speak again here in the Bishop's Office.